All right, well, I am grateful to be here, and while the Bibles are going around, I will just say a couple more things in introduction. Number one, I'm very grateful to be invited back here. That's a good sign. Uh, whenever, whenever a preacher's invited back, it means that he was appreciated and he didn't say anything too wild. Um, but if you know anything about me, you know that I really realize that we need a new dose of radical in the Christian life. I think many Christians have become too comfortable with the way they live their life. And um, while our world is waxing worse and worse, I think that Christians can sometimes contribute to the problem. And so my ministry um, is largely about, with God's help, providing Christians with solutions that have been there for ages, but uh, we, we sometimes cover them up and they get dusty and it's time to dust them off every once in a while. And that time in our culture has come. Um, I just want to share one quick prayer request, and I know I shared this last time, but it's even more on my heart as I come to you this time. And that is that my family um, is in a real time of transition right now. My youngest brother, Nathaniel, who is with me today, is a senior in high school. And so um, all of my brothers, I've had seven of them, my brothers are slowly but surely leaving home and starting families of their own and getting busy with their own things. So I'm going to be in need of more help on the... Um, the driving front and also some personal care issues. So if you could just pray that God would raise up um, people that would be willing to come alongside me in my ministry. I still have a lot of family support. Don't want to give you the wrong idea there, but just it's it's been something that's been on my heart. And then, of course, also many of you know um, that I've been praying for the right life partner, uh, a wife that could help me uh, to... Uh, pursue even higher levels of ministry and to be my better half. Um, I'm really praying for that. And so I would ask for your earnest prayers to continue along those regards. Um, but enough about me. Let's um, get into our message. I just wanted to share with you the title and then this quote, and then we will get into the meat of our message after I open in prayer. Um, this message is called The Myth of Godlessness. And I hope that when this went up on your website, or uh, maybe as you've been thinking about that this week, that you were curious, um, because that was my intent with this title, and it will make sense as we go along. I just want to share um, this quote to begin, and then we'll open in prayer. It says, To be an atheist requires an indefinitely greater measure of faith than to receive all the great truths which atheism would deny. And that's by a man named Joseph Addison. Don't know much about him, but I just thought that quote was, was very applicable to what we're going to talk about today. Um, so before we do that, let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open your word, may we do so with reverence. May we do so uh, to a certain degree with fear and trembling, realizing that you our living God with a living word and that you have things to say to us may we be open to them may I learn along with these people and may you allow what you want me to say to come forth from my lips I thank you for this opportunity in Jesus precious name amen all right well the reason that I called this message the myth of godlessness is because I have come to realize, as I have um, noticed more and more atheists speaking out about their atheism, their lack of religion, that they indeed do have a religion and that they, do, they indeed do serve someone. See, we all serve a God. The question is not whether you serve God. The question is, do you serve the one true God? And so we're going to take some time to unpack this idea and to look at some of the gods that people do serve. And so if you're taking notes, the first god we're going to talk about is the god of self. 
people serve themselves. If you've ever uh, been in the business world or, or observed the business world, you'll know that a common phrase that people use is looking out for number one. Climbing to the top of the ladder or the top of whatever field you want to have success in often involves stepping on people along the way. And for the unbeliever, for the, believe, for the person who says that worldly success is the only measure by which I will receive success, they don't, not only don't they care, they, they just will do anything they can to attain success. So this is the first thing we're going to talk about is people that serve themselves. And for that we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 7. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And I also just wanted to say that I will have some cross-references to this. So if you will be ready to um, turn to other passages and, and read, we'll just have the first person that gets to a cross-reference read it. But let me read this passage for you. It says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural infection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away." For all of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the thing I most want to focus on here is where it says, lovers of their own selves. And as I read through this list, I, I can't help but think that this was written yesterday. Because when you look at the, the headlines and you look at the well, things like the government shutdown and things of that nature, you see that men are lovers of themselves. Our country, as great as it once was, has some enormous black marks on it today. Not the least of which is the fact that we have killed over 55 million unborn babies. And yet we call ourselves a humanitarian nation. We have to go to Syria in the president's mind because we have to save people from a ruthless dictator. Well, we as a nation have killed 55 million of our own. How does that even make sense? Yet that's what happens when we go away from a biblical worldview. And Paul was written and rewriting in the first century, and he got it right. He says some things covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy. And before I get too far, I just want to say that without the grace of God, I would be on this list. And I am on this list from time to time. I'm not perfect. I'm not here sitting here telling you that I am perfect. But what I am telling you is that God calls His people to a higher standard than the world. And instead of always looking at the world and saying, look how bad the world is, let's start looking at the church and saying how bad the church is. And maybe if the church pulls itself up to a new level of holiness, the world will start to pay attention because they'll see a difference between us. Because I see us melting into the world. I see us saying often that we're not as bad as the world. Or trying to figure out how much we can get away with and still be Christians. And I'm saying this to myself as well. But the time has come for that to stop. The time has come for us to make a distinction between us and the world. To draw a line in the sand and to not cross it. And for people to know that there's a difference. And yes, we do need to be loving about it. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. 
Even if you are loving about the truth, people will still hate you. Why? Because they hated Jesus Christ. And if they hated the perfect Son of God, how can we as imperfect humans expect any less? I thought it was interesting that it's, it's one of the things in here is unthankful because that seems pretty minute. But I think in some ways it's kind of a first step. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about that too, that, that they glorified not God as God, nor gave him thanks. So I think it's a first step down the wrong road. And then I thought this phrase, to end this point, this phrase was very telling in verse 7, ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Do you know there are so many people today that are PhDs at, at the, what the United States would call its top universities, the world would call its top universities, who do not know God nor acknowledge Him for who He is. Knowledge without wisdom is worthless. I believe in knowledge. I have a college degree and I'm thankful for it. But knowledge without wisdom is worthless. And we have some of the most intelligent, stupid people in the world today. The Bible, or I should say foolish, because the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But you know what? These people, they're serving themselves. One of the biggest reasons why evolution has a toehold on our culture today is because if evolution is true, if the world came from a Big Bang, then I am responsible to no man for how I live my life. But the reality is that I was created by God for a purpose. And so I'm accountable to Him for everything I do, especially when I get up here and preach His Word. It's no laughing matter, and I take it very seriously. Could somebody look up for me? Um, Philippians 2, 19 to 21. Philippians 2, 19 to 21. Whoever gets it first can go ahead and read it. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may... But that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. You say, did you say 2 verse 19 and 21? Yes. <clears throat> for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. There it is again. You know, as great as it is for Timothy to be commended this way, and he is a hero to be emulated, isn't it telling? that Paul had to say, I have no man like-minded except for Timothy. You know, it doesn't take long for a culture to, to lose its love for God. The children of Israel, when they were wandering through the wilderness, they constantly were struggling with wanting to go back to Egypt. And then when, Joseph, when, when Joshua led them over the Jordan into the promised land, he said, choose you this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it says in Judges chapter 1 that all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that served Joshua, the people served the Lord. But then there arose a generation that knew not God. And we're not talking about about some third world uh, society that never heard about God or struggled to find out about God. We're talking about God's chosen people. These people that have been led out by the power of God's right hand. These people that had watched Pharaoh drowned in the Red Sea. And yet they forgot God. And if it's possible for them who saw so many visible signs of God's goodness to forget God, then how much more is it possible for us to forget God? I don't have any children yet. I'm hoping that in the future I will. But guess what? I do have nephews and nieces. 
And it's my responsibility to help their parents. To share Christ with them. To bring Christ to a whole new generation. It's a heady responsibility. It's a weighty responsibility. It does not just happen. We are called to do this. And I encourage you. But how easy is it for us to become lovers of ourselves? I know I've struggled with pride throughout my life. And God has had to humble me on a variety of occasions. I remember one such time I was getting ready to work at a Bible camp for the summer and spend three weeks there. And I was a couple days from leaving and my uh, electric wheelchair broke down. And for the next three weeks, I worked there, but I was pushed everywhere I went. And for the first week and a half of that, I was miserable. I was like, what am I doing here? Um, I'm not really helping if you guys have to push me everywhere. And a really good friend that I met that summer said, you know, you have to be gracious in serving, but you also have to be gracious in being willing to be served. And she was a big help to me that summer, and she tells me to this day that I was a big help to her that summer. So God has a plan even when we don't realize it. And that was just one of many times that God has gotten me off myself and back on him. I just wanted to share this quote from Ann Landers. She says this, At 20, we worry about what others think of us. At 40, we don't care what they think of us. And at 60, we discover they haven't been thinking about us at all. Now, there's a little bit of humor to that, and I hope there are people that are thinking about you. But the idea is that we don't, we always think that, we always worry about what people think about us. I know I have the same fears and worries. But the reality is, nobody thinks about us more than we do about ourselves. And so, if we can just get past ourselves and realize that our job is to reach out to others, things will go a lot better. So the first God that people serve is self, if you're keeping notes. Moving along to our second point, the second God that I found in Scripture, and I'm sure there's more, but the second one on my list is the devil. This passage comes from John 8, 39, 45, and this is Jesus speaking. I know these are kind of long passages, but it's hard to, to dice and splice the Word of God, so I try to try to take whole big pictures so this is John eight thirty nine to 45 they answered and said unto him speaking to Jesus Abraham is our father Jesus said unto them if you were Abraham's children you would do the works of Abraham but now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth which I heard of God this did not Abraham you do the deeds of your father They said unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. What was it that Jesus said? He said, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And that was these people. I don't know if you ever read the whole book of John, but one thing that I always find humorous, the book of John seems to be this way. People ask Jesus who he is. He tells them who he is. They try to kill him. Then a little while later, they ask him who he is. He tells them who he is, and they try to kill him. Then, finally at the end, they ask him who he is. He tells them who he is, and and they succeed in killing him. But that's not the end of the story. 
because he rises again the third day. And you know, I often wondered why he didn't just go appear to Caiaphas or Pilate and say, here I am. You tried to kill me, but it didn't work. But Jesus also said, cast not your pearls before swine. Jesus is not going to barge in where he's not welcome. But if you open your heart to him, he will come in and he will have a personal relationship with you. So these people, even though they thought they were religious, they were God's chosen people, as a matter of fact. But their God was the devil. Now I don't know if I'll ever have the courage to tell somebody that they serve their father the devil. I suppose if God tells me to, I'll be endued with the special grace to do that. But Jesus pulls no punches here. You know, people say that Jesus was all about love, and he loved these people. He loved them so much. But love isn't leaving you in a burning house. If I see your house is burning, my love will compel me to go in and try to pull you out. And as a minister of the gospel, I want to tell you, the future of this world is that it will burn, it will melt with fervent heat, First Peter says. And those who are not ready when that happens will pay the ultimate sacrifice of separation from God in a place that burns but never burns up. Like the burning bush in Exodus. Could somebody look at 1 John 3.12? Continuing on in this theme of serving the devil and how we sometimes get trapped in that ideology. 1 John 3.12 Go ahead. All right, so we're brought back to the story of Cain and Abel in this passage. And sometimes people think, well, Cain was, the whole issue was Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable, Abel's was acceptable, and so that's why Cain murdered Abel. But God is showing in this passage that this was just a symptom. The sacrifices and the way they were carried out were a symptom of the true heart of these men. Abel was righteous. Cain was evil. Two paths, and we can choose one of them. And no decision is a decision for the path of evil. Because there's no middle ground as far as God is concerned. As a matter of fact, Elijah... When he was up on Mount Carmel, he said to the people of Israel, If God be God, serve him. And if Baal be God, serve him. How long halt you between two opinions? There's no time to sit on the fence. I've lost two friends in the last two years at a very young age. One was 28, one was 32. You do not know how much time you have left. This could be the very last sermon that I ever preach. But you know what? If it is, I know where I'm going. I have the guarantee of my inheritance because I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise because I put my faith in Jesus Christ for my salvation. You can have that same assurance today. This quote from Cotton Mather um, from the colonial era is very interesting, I think. 
says that there is a devil is a thing doubted by none but such as are under the influence of the devil. The devil makes people doubt his existence. Isn't that an interesting contrast to God and the devil? Because the devil makes people doubt his existence and God is there telling people, I am here. And not only am I here, but I want a personal relationship with each and every one of you. That's the God with which we have to do. And it's so amazing. And it's just, it amazes me in this passage in John 8 how... As this passage goes on, I don't know if you realized it, but they, they, they later say, we're in bondage to no man. Which is interesting for the Israelites to say, because, first of all, they were in bondage to the Egyptians in Egypt. And as this is being written, as this is taking place, as Jesus is walking through their midst, they're in bondage to who? Rome. They've pretty much been in bondage their whole life, and yet their response to Jesus is, we've never been in bondage to anyone. And how is it, how is it not the same with the lost of this world who think they're free? Who think that the government has all the answers for them? When the reality, there is only one who has the answers. And there's only one one world government that's ever going to succeed. And that one world government will begin when Jesus Christ puts his feet back on this earth and comes to rule and reign in power. And I stake my whole life on that truth. And I encourage you today, don't be in despair. There's a lot of bad things happening, but we know the end of the story. And we know the author of the story, which is even more exciting. The third God that people often serve is the world. And for this passage, we'll be going to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 to 10. And um, it says here, starting in verse Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that are rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish, hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which some having coveted after, they have erred from their faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And um, I think this is so good. It's a common phrase that you never saw a U-Haul following a hearse. Because we come into the world naked with nothing and we leave the world with nothing. And, I, you know, it's important to make a distinction. God gives us money to be used to raise our families, to help others. But the love of money is the root of all evil. This whole government shutdown, it's a fight over money. So many of the things that we go through are because of money. And sometimes... I sit back and I say, man, it'd be nice to have a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank. It'd be nice to, to have my own uh, mansion to live in and to have no financial worries. Especially for me who um, I've gone through some difficulties in that regard as far as when um, I have per pursued young ladies and their fathers have told me, that they didn't think I would be capable of providing for their daughters. 
And that's a difficult thing to hear. And so sometimes I wish I could wave a magic wand and have all those financial burdens taken away. But you know, I'm pretty sure that my God knows what I can handle and what I can't. And it doesn't matter how much money you have, if you're not wise with what you have, you won't be given more. And um, I'm learning every day to trust God. And it's hard, but, it, but He is there. And that's why He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now there are people with great wealth that have done great things for the kingdom. So wealth is not the problem. But if we pursue money for money's sake, we will be very unfulfilled. And ultimately, we will be sorrowful. I think of the old classic Christmas story, A Christmas Carol. And old Ebenezer Scrooge, he's visited when he's an old man by three ghosts and then he sees his past and how his past was wrecked by the fact that he pursued wealth and chose bitterness and believe it or not even though it doesn't come out in a lot of the the movies that they do about it um, there's very strong allusions to the gospel in the book and he realizes that he missed out by not Trusting the babe in a manger. And we can all learn that lesson. And it's talking about these people who pursue money. They, they turn from the faith. Why? Because if we start having as much money as we could ever want, we start saying, you know, I'm doing pretty well. I don't need God like I used to. There's a proverb that says, Lord, don't give me too much lest I desert you. And don't give me too little lest I curse you. Just give me enough. I believe that's in Proverbs chapter 30 if you want to look it up later. And I really resonate with that. I usually want more than enough, but I'm thankful that God has restricted me at this point to enough. Um, could somebody look up by way of cross-reference Psalm 37:16? Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of the many. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of the many. You know, the thing I often think about, and I know I've, I've talked about this already today, but it's so heavy on my heart, is the fact that Planned Parenthood, while grossing millions and millions of dollars a year, is considered a non-profit organization that receives funding from the government to be the largest abortion provider in the entire United States. And I know there's at least one abortion provider right here in West Michigan that kills babies every Tuesday and Thursday. And yet they're considered a non-profit organization that needs government assistance. Yet when a Christian organization applies for nonprofit status, they are increasingly delayed by the IRS. Why? Because the world hates the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though it's the only thing that gives true answers. I go into the jail once a month to preach the gospel to prisoners. I'm actually going there tonight. And there have been many programs run by Christians that have been shut down in the prisons. Even though just by way of statistic, let me give you an example. 
for the standard prisoner that comes into the Kent County Correctional Facility, 75% of the time, they will return to jail. There's a program, however, in the Kent County system called the God Pod, where men and women now can sign up to be involved in, a, in, in an intensive Bible study that is 40 hours a week learning the truths of God's Word. If someone enters that program, they are only 40% likely to return. That's a 35% reduction in return visits. That is significant. And yet the government would have you believe that we just need bigger jails, more state-of-the-art facilities. No, what we need is people that come to know the true and living God. We need to see that jail facility become an empty building that they have to turn into condos because these men have turned their lives to Jesus Christ. That is what we need. And that is what we need on Capitol Hill too. We need men on Capitol Hill who will say, from whence comes my help? My help comes even from the Lord who has made heaven and earth. Why is there violence in the streets? Why is there bombings? Why is there school shootings? It's because God is no longer the centerpiece of what we do. Well, God will always be the centerpiece of what I do with speaking for Him ministries. And I trust that you here at True Life Bible Church will remain committed to the truth of your name. That true life only comes from the way of the truth and the life, Jesus Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, If I had a brother who had been murdered, what would you think of me if I daily consorted with the assassin who drove the dagger into my brother's heart? Surely I too must be an accomplice in the crime. Sin murder Christ, will you be a friend to it? Sin pierced the heart of the incarnate God. Can you love it? And that is a convicting quote to me. Because I have to constantly check myself to make sure that I'm not loving my sin. Because sin, sin is pleasurable for a season. Yes, for a season, but it is pleasurable. But the fact of the matter is, its pleasures don't last. The pleasures that God offers at His right hand are forevermore. The last God that I want to cover today is the belly. Philippians 3, 17-21. Philippians 3, 17-21 says, Brethren, be followers together of me. I want to stop here a second. Paul is not saying that he's perfect. But he is saying that I have endeavored to live my life in such a way that I can in good conscience say to you, follow me, be an imitator of me. Why? <coughs> because he imitated Christ. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things for our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the work and wherein he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. 
I'm in a vile body right now. I'm strapped into an electric wheelchair. And if you guys truly didn't like what I was saying, you could unstrap me, plop me in the corner, and I wouldn't be able to move from where I was. And if you really wanted to get away from what I have to say, you could use duct tape. Though I, I, don't, appre I don't appreciate it, nor do I expect it in this environment. <laughs> but the point being, there's very little that I can do for myself. But I will receive a new body. A whole body. A body that will be without restraint. Even more than the most physical body that we ever had. Have you ever thought about this? Um, my church is actually doing a retreat this weekend about heaven. And, and we were talking about how as great as our bodies are and as much of a marvel of science as they are, can you imagine how much greater our glorified bodies are when they're not under the curse of sin? Jesus walked through walls. I, I'm kind of hoping that I get that opportunity someday. It would be awesome. But the point is, Paul's saying, these people might have started out on a good track. But they only cared about how to make themselves comfortable. We have people today that claim to be preachers of the gospel. But they preach a feel-good gospel. A gospel that talks only about the love of God and never about the judgment of God. You can't even understand the love of God until you've understood the judgment of God. I understand how much Jesus loves me because I know how little I deserve it. And it says that he's going to subdue all things. I know himself. Lest we ever forget that God is in control of everything. <coughs> Can we look by way of cross-reference to Romans 16, 17, and 19. <coughs> 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 Someone has that, they can go ahead and read it. Again, and he's talking about people that love their own interests. And uh, I think we could do well to, to heed the latter part of that passage where it says being wise concerning that which is good and being innocent concerning that which is evil. I don't think there's a lot of innocence left in the Christian church today. I think we spend a lot of time putting evil before our eyes, and I even have to be challenged with this. And then trying to live close to God with that evil before my eyes, it's not a good thing. So, where does this leave us? We've talked about four gods today that people serve. We're talking about the God of self, the God of the devil, the God of the world, and the God of the belly. This just kind of lays the groundwork and says to us, we are serving someone or something. The question is, what God are you serving? And are you ready to take the step to serve the almighty, true God, our Lord Jesus Christ?
when he died on a cross 2,000 years ago, you were on his mind. When he cried out in agony and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I was on his mind. When the people of Israel were standing there watching his trial, and Pilate said, See ye to it. And the children of Israel responded, His blood be on us and on our children. They didn't realize how true their words were. Because if we accept His forgiveness, His sacrifice, His blood can be on us. And it must be on us if we are to be redeemed. In closing, I want to look at one final passage. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40. Two people, I don't know exactly if they were trying to trip him up. They could have been, because people were always trying to trip Jesus up. But they wanted to ask him a question. They said, Master, Matthew 22, 36. Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I have a hard time with the first and the second command. Oh, I love the Lord. And I like to say that I love Him with all my heart. And I try to love Him with all my heart. But things creep in. That's why we have to constantly be cleaning things out. Getting rid of anything that is between us and the Lord because things creep in easily. You know, I, I used to think that Satan's biggest weapon was the unbeliever. But I'm persuaded even more now than ever before that Satan's biggest weapon is an ineffective Christian. Someone who claims Christ and maybe they're even... They even are true Christians whose eternity is secure, but they're not living in a way as to draw people to Jesus Christ. And we see that Christians in America are being persecuted like never before. And there could come a day when authorities from the police were to barge into one of these side doors and arrest anyone who claims Jesus Christ. And the question is twofold. First of all, would there be enough evidence to convict you of that crime? And second of all, would you have the grace and the courage to claim Christ if asked a direct question. Now I consider myself a wimp when it comes to pain. And I don't think today that I would be able to suffer physical pain without at least verbally denying Christ. But I pray every day that if that ever comes to be, if there ever comes to be a time when I am called upon to do that, that God would give me extra grace because I have a feeling that I might be called to face that in my lifetime. Because the world hates Christ. And 
It hates you because you're made in His image. But let me tell you, if you reject Him here on earth, time is very brief, and you will be called before Him, and He will say to you, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. But if you trust him here on earth, if you bow the knee here on earth, you can be there with the throng of the redeemed. When I, along with hopefully all of you in this room, will bow before our Savior and Lord, and say he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he will say to you, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my rest. It's a question of whether you want his joy or the world's tribulation. In my mind, it's a pretty good deal. You won't find a better one anywhere. He took all your sin on the cross. We can't begin to understand what that was like. Because he took all the sin of the entire world for all time. And his father turned his face away from him so that he could say to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. My prayer is that you will trust him today that you will realize the vileness of your sin and that you will bow your knee before the one who can take it all away make you new let's close in prayer Heavenly Father Lord we thank you for your grace we thank you for your word we thank you that you allowed us to look into it today. We pray that we would evaluate these gods in our life and that we would eradicate them where they exist and that we would allow the true and living God to make his abode with us. We pray this in the name and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.